the Chasing Progress podcast. Hello and welcome to the Chase and Progress podcast. We are on episode four with our first guest, Fiona Sutton. Fiona is an origin OG. She's been with us from the start and it's good to have our first guest on. The Chasing Progress podcast by Origin Gym. How are you, Fiona? <laughs> I'm great, David. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Fiona. How are you? I'm, I'm good as well. How thanks, guys. Si? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, good. Thanks. Hello, everyone. Right. So we're going to talk today a little bit about mental health, mental illness, Fiona's story in the gym, her background, and we'll cover a load of topics in between. I think. <laughs> right. So, Fiona, tell us a little okay. bit about yourself. <laughs> okay. So, do you want to start from? If we're talking about mental health, do you want to start from when I developed the mental health yeah. issue? Okay, so it was... Mm, was it one thing that caused it? No. Or it developing? Was, so it was an eating disorder that I had, um, both anorexia and bulimia, and started probably 14, 15-ish. It can be correlated with teenage years, like, um, and probably parents divorcing that's what a lot of therapists told me it might have been down to <laughs> but you know you never know I always was I was always weird with food like I said to you the other day um that photo of me from when I was in year six in school and it took me back to like the emotions of how I felt then and even at that age I was conscious of being fat and what age was that sorry nine ten wow maybe not you maybe younger and i think there's a lot of girls that would say that people just assume that and is that when you got divorced or going through no divorce? i was 14 15 something like okay, that okay so it started before that but yeah for, for when i kind of look back and analyze it um always very conscious self-conscious always comparing myself to other people why i don't know because i'm not saying you're old but this was in the time when it wasn't like all instagram and stuff like that isn't it was it magazines and... I, I, yeah, to be fair. <laughs> was it magazines? No, that... Was it magazines <laughs> and newsprint? Black and white magazines. <laughs> no, to be fair, that I think I, more in the teenage years that contributed because when I was a teenager, that whole heroin chic thing was a thing, wasn't it? Like celebrities being stick thin. But when I was what younger... What do you call that? Heroin chic? Heroin chic. That was like the name for it. Kate Moss. Yeah. That kind of yeah, vibe. That yeah. like, you know, smoke and take drugs and have this Steady stick on, Steady on. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just always... I can always remember comparing myself to friends, doing the classic thing that girls always do, grab the belly fat and stuff like that. And then I think when life got out of control, the eating disorder became the way of controlling things. So you said something there like you were weird with food. What does yeah, that mean? Yeah, I, I can just remember periods where I'd just, I'd feel too fat and then I'd just refuse to eat. It was overcome by my mum and dad saying, okay, let's go out for dinner and then I'd forget about it instantly. <laughs> but but <laughs> I think as I got older and I became more insecure. And was this at like nine and ten? Yeah. You were weird with food? Yeah. I th- if you ask my mum, she will probably say she always suspected I had a level of something there. So my little girl, Beth, now is nine. That's, that's why when it started she, that, Yeah, that's where the other day. Like when I said to you, like it, it was just, it's weird to compare her to how I was at that age. Like I was not, obviously I was like a carefree kid, but there was obviously levels that, that weren't. Like I always felt insecure in my awkward and like I used to do dancing when I was younger. I used to have to wear these stupid leotard things and I used to feel fat in them at that age. I remember in school in PE, the girls had to wear 
gym knickers. Mm, gym knickers. And my... <laughs> the worst mate, thing. Like I'm if you laughing want, because this uh, is a completely a new topic for a South African. The, <laughs> la- the lads could just have shorts. Have you never heard of gym knickers? Never in my they life. They are the worst Google pants it. ever. They are massive granny knickers, basically. They used to come up to here, dig into your stomach. They were always too tight on your thighs, no matter what size you were. And you used to have to run around a track wearing a t-shirt and gym knickers. I now appreciate... It's horrible. What, it's traumatizing. What girls went through as youngsters. <laughs> Jesus. And like the teachers would be stood there in trackies in November, telling you to run around the track wearing knickers. And I guess that's not going to contribute very, very well to your self-image. No, and it's such an awkward age for girls because it's like, do I start shaving my legs at that age? Do I put fake tan on? Do I do this? Do I do that? And every girl is at a different stage because obviously girls go through puberty either yeah. early or slightly later and. It's just awkward, unless un- unnecessary. <laughs> and lads could just have shorts, normal t-shirt, yeah. footy socks, trainees. And if you went to a school fine. like I did, they were really strict with the uniform. So it had to be like, I mean, I remember one of the girls managed to find a shop that sold um, like cycling shorts that were navy with the white stripes up that we needed for the gym knickers. And the school were like, no, no, they have to be the gym knickers. And she was like, but, but it's exactly the same. It's navy with the white, they were like, no, 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 gym knickers. To be fair, when I was about that age, I remember being on holiday and having cycling shorts. I went through a cycling shorts phase. <laughs> and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is just news to South Africa. Everyone. <laughs> I just want to I, I mean, cycling shorts are back in now, so maybe you're just ahead of the time. <laughs> I think I was trying to be breath to hit my heart. This is Chasing Progress, the podcast. Knowing you today, you look fine. You seem what I think we would class, by we I mean society, as normal and that you don't yeah (laughs) and that's what i'm trying to say you know like sort of that stereotypical kind of like blase yeah that's fiona she's a normal person yeah you know and that everyone who struggles with mental health isn't normal that's kind of you know like the the standard of like how you would almost brandish it how do you how do you do you deal with it today is it something that you i have to be conscious of it yeah um i'm having to work on it less but that's because of the things i've kind of implemented in order to get over it so i think i'll always have a level of struggling with eating just by the fact that i do track my food every day yeah whenever i get stressed in outside of like just in normal life food becomes a focus of control for me as well as exercise right okay so that leads me to my next question what point then did you realize that in that 20 year period right enough is enough there's some stuff there's some stuff that I want to start to address. I'm not saying, because I don't think we ever arrive at uh, the finish line. Yeah, no. I think it's an ongoing journey. Yeah, definitely. Um, but for for you, at what point was it like, okay, I need to start addressing some of the stuff? And then how? Well, what, I think... How did you start doing that? I think because, obviously, my eating disorder, it was anorexia and bulimia. So anorexia, people can almost wrap their head around a bit more because some people see it as a diet and it's just, yeah. it's just not eating. So, but bulimia, people are like, you, you make yourself sick why would you do that like that's to i used to be more embarrassed saying i had bulimia than anorexia because it's seen as just give a very brief outline of both of them anorexia is <sighs> see this it kind of annoys me the categorizing of eating disorders because they overlap massively like when i was younger it used to be in one camp or the other there was whereas i think that's why i asked when you said do I yeah so I anorexia i think is defined as having a bmi of under something like 15 whatever it is and but it's a mental state though forget the bmi anorexia is a mental state so someone how they see themselves yeah yeah 
is is hugely different to how the world sees them physically yeah. well, I mean this is why I never really I say I had anorexia but it was I never thought I was overweight I just didn't like what I saw like I always I think I always knew I was never like overweight or anything. I didn't let me body but when I started losing weight and I became underweight I was always aware that I was underweight but I just wasn't perfect for what I wanted if that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so anorexia will be and class what was perfect to you I, I don't think I even knew I just wanted to I think it was just a, it was a control mechanism I didn't know I used to get, um, I think looking back, when I kind of analyse it, I never used to be able to deal with emotions. Life used to um, life used to be very overwhelming for me, and it still can now. So uh, for me, I think conjuring up this idea of like perfect in my head was probably just a way of me trying to... Can I interrupt? Sorry. I just <laughs> want to... <laughs> because we haven't finished the first oh, question okay. you asked. You asked Fiona to define anorexia and bulimia. I think society sees it as you just make yourself sick. Do you know what I was going to say? I'll tell you. I'll tell you that because I think my understanding yeah. is someone who has bulimia is someone who just makes themselves sick after eating, indulges, no. and then makes themselves sick. Yeah, that's the part of it. Yeah. Bulimia Anorexia is, is you don't eat, but you don't have or don't eat a lot. But I guess these can be our ignorant views. Anorexia, you, I think you do eat. It's just being extremely controlling over what you do, and um, yeah, a lot of the time it is keeping calories down to like a massively restricted level and yeah. things like that. And bulimia, like this, sorry, it, this is a mental illness, isn't it? Yeah, but so bulimia can be. It's defined as like binging on food and then using a technique like throwing up, taking laxatives, excessive exercise, or starving afterwards. So the anorexia, you wouldn't typically eat a large amount of food. Like the anorexia is just kind of restricting yeah. and stuff like that, whereas the bulimia is. And what is the urge to eat a large amount of food? Is it something's happened and you're stressed? Is it? You're yeah, like... I think. Yeah, because I've I've spoken to other people who have it, and it's almost like a build up of it. It, it sounds like a really really weird thing to say, but it, it is an anxiety release. You know the way people all have a glass of wine of an evening, and it's like. Phew. Well, it yeah. ties in, doesn't it? Because like anxiety is, I'm guessing it is here as well. But it's like the number one mental illness in America. Mm, anxiety yeah, I would say it probably is here as well um, but then there's things blanketed with that so OCD panic attacks phobias yeah. eating disorders are separate all within the mental illness side yeah, of it they all overlap massively um, like mental health problems and you can have one that can lead on to another one because like a lot of times people who develop some kind of eating disorder will inevitably become depressed but then obviously that links into you're malnourished you're tired you're this you're that you're constantly thinking about it Um so yeah, there's a massive overlap with all mental health things, really. Progress, not perfection. The Chasing Progress podcast. For the sake of this conversation, mm-hmm. if we define bulimia as some, someone who perhaps, um, or in your case, was it a case of eating, I guess, let's, let's define it that way. What was it for you? So you would eat and then make yourself sick? Sometimes I'd just, it would just be, you'd, anything, you'd eat anything, you'd feel guilty, you wouldn't want it so you'd go and be sick or it would be the binging and then being sick or taking laxatives and was that a sense of like you finding some sort of control i think so yeah there was an element of it where i wanted to because i was weighing myself every single day multiple times a day so i didn't want to put weight on why would you weigh yourself multiple times a day to make sure i was losing weight basically so it was down to control then yeah 
Yeah, and also there's obviously an element of you see it when any, anyone goes on a diet, they restrict that much. They get to a point where they're that hungry. When was this? Was this in teenage years? Or? Yeah, that started around about fifteen-ish. So this can also be down to like a lack of knowledge, education, possibly. Because if you know your weight fluctuates and different things like training and eating and now I have coping mechanisms mechanisms in place to help me control with life. I didn't then. That was my coping coping mechanism. Same way people turn to drugs, same way people turn to alcohol. It's it's a coping mechanism. It's it numbs you emotionally. Like a lot of the time when you're in the depths of something like an eating disorder, that's the only thought you have. I didn't care about like school. Like I was doing rubbish. Well I wasn't doing rubbish in school to be fair, but I wasn't doing anything towards school. Like a relation like I just didn't care about anything else that was pretty much my sole focus and I don't think I realized it myself until I went to see a therapist once and I'd seen that many I think I just kind of reeled off everything that was happening in just like a blase like this this I think about this I do this blah 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 she was like are you not tired like what do you mean she's like that's mentally exhausting everything you go through on a daily basis like are you not just completely dead at the end of the day I was like yeah, I just think I've just got that. Like, you don't realise it when you're doing it yeah. yourself that you're completely, like, so involved in these we're things. You're absorbed. Yeah, yeah, totally. When you're thinking of so many things, like we say it now, with, especially with lockdown, we've had the kids at home homeschooling, but, mm. like, we haven't been doing seven, eight hours of school with the kids. Mm. We do, like, maybe two hours, or we did. And then, you know, Kate's got stuff to do with their work. I've got mm. to do work. So you end up doing like two hours of school work. Yeah. We might go for a walk, go on the bikes and stuff, but then most of the time just watching telly or doing whatever. When they go to school and they're engaged for like six, seven hours, they're socializing with the friends, they're doing the school work. They come home and they fall asleep. Yeah. Absolutely knackered. Just from like thinking, yeah. thinking yeah. more. Yeah, you so are. So if like, you're like that 24 seven mm. from when you wake up to when you And I wasn't asleep. sleeping either. Like I, I was, because I was obviously like, when you're hungry and stuff, you don't, I was, I developed like, I was never like diagnosed with it, but I definitely had a bit of insomnia for a while. But you're mentally exhausting yourself all day and then yeah. you're not recovering, you're not getting to sleep. So no. it's just a vicious it's, it's a, cycle. It, yeah, it's the hot, it was one of the hardest. And nothing good's going to come from that, is it? Oh God, no. So, so <laughs> was, how did that stop? To be fair, my, my mum should take a lot of credit for it because she was onto it very early on and she had me in therapy from the start so I was I think it's why I'm quite open what about, age was the start when you say therapy I think she, I think I went to therapy when I was like 16 or something okay well in the mum it must have been hard for like me mum and dad to be fair because they were going through a divorce at the time so yeah. they had like me with this they were trying to keep Ellie happy and all this type of stuff so there's a you know it was a lot going on sort of thing work hard be consistent make it happen what point did you start addressing all the stuff was it 16 was that kind of the the turning point for you where you realised, hey, I need to make some changes in my no. life. I can't carry on like no, this. No, I was... I suppose a lot of the time I, I didn't want to be like that. But at the same time, I wanted the effects that it gave me. Okay. So I didn't... I didn't want all the bulimia and anorexia that came with it. Yeah. But I also still wanted to look the way I wanted to look. So yeah. it was... And... But it, I think it was... I don't know. Probably to wasn't. answer that, did it come to a head? Was there something... No, where, there was like, never like a light bulb moment incident. for me. There, there, was a, there was obviously like a few moments where I'd just have complete breakdowns. And I remember at one point asking my mum to put me into like a, a rehab thing. Because I was like, I can't I can't do this by myself. I'm just exhausted. And But that's a big thing to ask. Y- yeah. I, I don't know what... I just remember asking it. I don't re- remember why. I think I just... I think I was just tired. For yeah. your eating disorder? Yeah. I just because I, I felt like I couldn't do it myself, and obviously I 
people couldn't be with me 24-7. I couldn't have my mum there watching me. I couldn't have... Like, Ellie was, you know, hawk eyes constantly on me, but I wasn't able to do it myself. I needed someone to, like... I felt, I felt like I needed someone to just kind of take all control away from me and tell me what to do. But, obviously, I never ended up going into anything like that, which I'm glad for now because, you know, I've heard, like, horror stories of people going into places like that. Yeah. But I, th- I think it was just ongoing. It was persistence from my mum and I think I, I, I don't know where the it, the turning point happened slowly because the, the well, it must be persistence from you as well because you are aware of it yeah suppo- and I, to do I had a really good support network to be fair like my dad was amazing as well and I had a very um, we had a very open family so like it was very spoken about like it wasn't a taboo subject which it is for a lot of people. yeah I, I had friends who were pretty much in the same situation as me and it, it like the families were nowhere near as good as mine were but about it, it's it. crazy now isn't it like we like we've posted about this recently about mental health and mm. everyone says talk talk to someone open yeah up to that's... someone but no one ever does like in all the posts we've ever done and the things we said to people no one ever does so it's easy to say but i think that's action sometimes i've realized as well my mum forced me to talk about it I probe and ask questions to people. I pick up on people having mental health problems very quickly. And obviously it's because I've had them myself. And I ask the questions because I, I, I know the questions to ask, sort of. So, like, so a lot of people won't openly talk about it. And then if they do, sometimes they'll talk about it to someone who doesn't... Like Ellie has said to me in the past, um, you know, I, she was like, I can't help people who've got mental health problems. She was like, I can kind of say, I'm here to talk. We can listen. Can't we? Yeah. yeah, We're not trained professionals. Yeah, but then a lot of the time when someone does open up and talk about things, they they don't always get the response that they need. It's knowing the questions to ask, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I was reading up on this and it's, there's topics on like the 10 best questions to ask someone or the 10 questions people with depression or anxiety or a mental illness want to hear. Yeah. And you read them and it's like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Because like, I, like just talking from my own perspective, I never diagnosed what I had, but... I think it was depression. When was that? It went on for a while. So it was, this is why I could never define it or put a finger on it. And you know what we're like, we want definitive answers all the time to be happy. Yeah. I think I went through a phase in school when I was bullied. So in juniors, and I don't know if it was from there, but I I remember it went on till I was about maybe 20, mid twenties maybe. Mm. But it definitely came on after having alcohol. We all know I can't handle alcohol. <laughs> the best well, it is, it is a depressant, so but it would make sense. If I sense. went out on a night out and you know didn't come in till yeah. like four in the morning, I knew there was a chance. And this was the thing: it was always two weeks. It yeah. was literally two weeks. I would not feel like myself. Yeah, I feel like I was someone else. Didn't like sports. Didn't like watching footy. Didn't yeah. want the phone to ring. Didn't want the door to knock. Didn't want didn't want any interaction with anyone. Yeah. I mean, you'll probably say I'm like that now, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, in, in a better place, though. In a better place. But it was weird because it was always two-week blocks for me. And then when I came out of it, I always refer, reference it to being someone like a footballer who's come back from a broken leg. the back, but not they're not 100%. match fit. Yeah. And that's how I always, like, I knew I was out of it, but then I, I just had to get myself match fit. Some people, weird. yeah, no, some people are like that. And to be honest, I don't, these days I don't drink anywhere near as much as I used to, but that never used to help me either. Like, because the thing is, when you're drinking alcohol, usually it's related to a late night, isn't it? And when you're tired, 
never trust your own thoughts when you're tired because they just because you don't you're not thinking straight when you're tired your brain's not working properly you get like just almost like a tunnel vision on something it usually sends you down a path of bad thoughts you don't your body's your brain's not quite capable of logical thinking when you're tired which is why sleep is such an important thing that people don't Take people advantage. mock me for having me eight o'clock to go to bed. They mock me. I'm like a nan these days. I go to bed at like I'm in bed by half nine, ten, and I'm up at like half six. It's the biggest like, um underutilized recovery method. Sleep. The Chasing Progress Podcast by Origin Gym. Your journey obviously has been has been a, an evolution of you as a person. You've kind of evolved into who you are today. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot going on in your life. Obviously, you, you've gone through relationships, you've gone through breakups, you've gone through all the things that people go through. Um, but a part of your journey stemmed from body being body conscious, right? Yes. Like hugely body conscious. I've read over some of the things that you wrote. And <laughs> my, my spreadsheet. It, your spreadsheet <laughs> that, you, that you wrote for us. And it definitely comes down to being body conscious, comparing yeah. yourself. We all know that comparison is it's the thief of joy. Yeah. Um, you start comparing yourself to someone and you can go down a, a real tricky road. How did you break the cycle of comparison? Because you, you clearly now are in a much better place in your life. You've clearly progressed yeah. through those stages. And so how did you break that comparison cycle? What did you do? I started realizing, I think I started listening to things that were slightly more upbeat. I realized I was completely surrounding myself with everything negative. Yeah. I did... Um, CBT therapy once and thought it was rubbish at the time but clearly something must have stuck in my brain because they made us write a list of um CBT therapy cognitive behavioral therapy um it's probably one of the most used things by the NHS it's it's not great for people who've got actual mental health problems but if you're kind of trying to find coping techniques it's quite a good therapy to do um but it makes you analyze your thought patterns. And I think one of them was like, they were write, write a list down of all the things that, um, the negative thoughts you have each day, and then the positive thoughts. I had zero positive thoughts at all, every single day. And they were like, write down what you like about yourself and what you don't like about yourself. There was nothing I liked about my body. Okay. And they were like, you need to start kind of actively, whether you believe so it. So is that what you instantly thought your body, not about yourself? Like maybe you're a nice person or something like that. You just thought body. Yeah. But they were like, you need to... It's kind of like the fake it till you make it kind yeah. of scenario. Um, the Tell yourself a positive thing about yourself. At the end of the day, three things that you like about yourself and blah, blah. And it sounds like a really stupid, mundane task to do. Yeah. Tell us what do you wear. I can't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I catch myself doing it now and even when I started the education I'm doing now the university thing at the beginning of it I'd turn up like I'd be like I can't do this I can't do this I'm, I'm, I'm stupid I can't do this blah 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 um, I remember my dad being like well if you tell yourself that then you're going to start believing it he was yeah. like tell yourself that you're smart tell yourself that you're capable of doing it yeah. and you will do it yeah. I've literally and, had this conversation with Beth last night yeah and it's, it sounds like a really stupid simple thing to do but it works it's like if you're in a bad mood I can be in the worst mood ever and just put on a playlist and force myself to just have a dance around the room next thing you know, yeah next thing you know I'm doing a dance routine in front of the mirror like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it does work if you force yourself to do something and pretend that you are happy or whatever it, it works we're just utilising it wrong because you tell yourself yeah. bad things and you think bad things yeah. you tell yourself good things you'll feel good things yeah. if you tell yourself you're going to see yellow cars you're going to go and see yellow cars yeah and it, it is a hard thing to do when you are in the depths of like a depressive 
phase or whatever yeah. but it's you just it's discipline in that respect you tell yourself you're going to see J-Lo she'll walk in in a minute <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I wrote in the me spreadsheet thing um, <laughs> I was waiting for my book then I wrote it yeah, my book um, my memoirs that when as soon as you realise that you can compare yourself to as many people as you want you will never be that person yeah. you're always going to be you Yeah. there's nothing you can do to change and that that is normal yeah and I used to constantly be like, well, that person weighs that weight, that person weighs that weight. And I'm like, they're not you. They're not yeah. the same height as you. They're not the same bone density. They're not, not, nothing about them yeah. is you. Yeah. So I think once I kind of, it was acceptance of me. Like, like I want to be a healthy person. I want to exercise. So like I said, if I'm eating relatively healthy, exercising as much as makes me happy, whatever my body ends up being like, I need to learn to accept that. Yeah. And that's what, I think as well, like, I wanted this kind of six-pack, like, toned figure. Yeah. But you don't realise the work that goes into getting that. Yeah. And a lot of the time, people who have those figures are miserable. Yeah. Like, women who have that probably don't have periods. Yeah. Their body fat's that low. Yeah. They're probably messing something up, yeah. like, physiologically. And their entire life revolves around food yeah. and exercise. And as much as mine, I'm very OCD about my food and yeah. I like doing exercise, I don't want it to be... I wouldn't yeah. have a boyfriend if I was like that. I wouldn't have a, a relationship with my family if I was like that. And it's balance. You took back control. Um, by the way, everyone, we keep referring to the spreadsheet. It was an <laughs> in-depth document that Fiona wrote. Uh, Just a few to notes. give us a few, a few notes about her life and things. So when we keep pulling from this sheet, that's what we're referring to. Um, you wrote about tracking your food, um, about you know, sort of taking back a bit of control, I guess, mm-hmm. from your food. Yep. What did that look like to you when it came to food and understanding your relationship with it? Because I think now um, I find your approach to food quite uh, refreshing. I find it a nice kind of uh, vibe in the gym um, in, t- in terms of how you approach your food. What, what is it for you? It used to be tracking to stay under calories and to... I'd set myself a stupid goal of like however many calories a day and yeah. I'd always try and under eat that. And then I kind of realized... And that gave you a sense of control? I think so, yeah. And in my head, I was like... To lose weight? To stay at the weight I was or potentially lose weight type thing. Whereas now, I think now I've educated myself on your body essentially is a machine. If you're not putting the right things in, you will not get the output. Do you track now? Yeah. But But that's okay, though. A lot of the time, that's so I don't under eat these days. Like, it's completely reversed, the role of... So we're tracking the calories, we're not doing like a food diary of the food you're eating, you're just tracking... Um, that's kind of hand in hand but yeah it's but it's to make sure for. I'm hitting the right protein okay. uh, I'm not overeating on you know too many carbs so I'm getting too much of like a spike and I'm just going to crash later on and all that type of stuff and how long have you been doing that for? <clears throat> years <laughs> you could stop that now and know roughly what you're eating yeah. every day but yeah. you want you keep doing it because you want to control you want to stay in control it probably is an element of control like when I start to get stressed I get a little bit more OCD about it but I noticed that like the other week I was feeling particularly not anxious just overwhelmed by stuff and I didn't work like I do things like I won't I deliberately won't track my food and I deliberately won't wear my my zone belt in the gym (laughs) I know controversial topic I know (laughs) but it's because I know because I was resistant to getting the my zone belt initially because I didn't want my brain to go down that calories that that kind of I I know I can get a bit too OCD about this there's um 
one of the it was one of the podcasts I listened to the Joe Rogan one with I think it was Emily Harrington the climber she's actually recently done a documentary on um, having an eating disorder but she doesn't track anything because it triggers that kind of did she do the same out on as the one who done solo yes but she didn't um, she did it with ropes because she's a sane human being <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But she, yeah, she's done a documentary on um, on YouTube about how common it is to have an eating disorder in the fitness world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she doesn't use any kind of tracking. I think tracking can be a very useful tool, and I think it can yeah. be a very healthy thing. I think you use it in a way that is healthy, uh, in, in sort of like from what I see anyway, um, and from the, your social media posts and sort of where you are in your life, and from the everyday that uh, everyday interactions we have. I think yeah. your your approach to food is like I've said, it's refreshing and it's good. Um, and I think you encourage others around you, uh, from, again, from what I've seen, to eat well and, and not be afraid of food. And I think, I think tracking can give you that power where, where you then you become, you don't become afraid of food, but actually you embrace it. The more you restrict food, the more you want it. Obviously, Ellie, again. Shut up. She's been the complete reverse of me. She struggled to lose weight. One like, time. She's, you know, gone up and down with her weight. And at the moment, she's like looking incredible. But... She makes the mistakes that I used to of, she's a little bit hungry, but she doesn't really want to eat. So she'll have a really low calorie snack and think that's going to fill her up for the evening. And yeah. then later on, she'll be like, mm, I'm hungry again. So she'll have an apple, she'll, mm, I'm hungry. She'll have a low calorie hot chocolate. Yeah. And then it'll just be constant, constant low calorie snacks. And I'm like, you might as well have just eaten a, a meal. great meal. Yeah, yeah, or she'll crave chocolate and yeah. try and go for the alternatives. And I'm like, just have the chocolate bar. Yeah. Because you're not going to be satisfied until you have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then... It works to an extent, but then there's the whole, like, you need to be a bit restrained with it. Like, that's what she's learning at the moment. So, like, for example, she bought herself a packet of mini eggs, but she will weigh them out now and give herself a portion as opposed to just sitting there and mindlessly eating the entire pack, which is the thing that a lot of people, when they're trying to lose weight, I think people see weighing food and tracking food as something that elite people do and something that OCD people like me do. But it's a really helpful tool if you use it in the right way. My wife does not measure mini eggs. (laughs) She snorts. (laughs) (laughs) This is Chasing Progress, the podcast. Right, I've got two questions and they kind of lead into each other. It's going back a little bit, but what causes, can we call it a meltdown? What causes a meltdown? I now? schedule my meltdowns in now. <laughs> at least I, I allow myself at least well, one meltdown a month. You definitely had one or two in the gym. That's for sure. I hundred percent. Yeah. This one. Hissy fits are different to meltdown, Simon. <laughs> okay, so so what causes a? What makes you go to the bad place of thinking of the old days, or do, or doesn't that happen now? Um. And the mm, question after that is, how do you stop it manifesting? Uh, to be fair, I don't tend to go to that place as much but like I said like last week I was what gets you close stress really for me being overwhelmed I get very overwhelmed with things not as easily as I used to so from what I know of you that happens a lot I think stress and overwhelmed I think on the outside people think I do but for me I'm nowhere near as bad as I used to be um, your measuring your measuring stick is very different. Yeah, I, also I'm very um, vocal when I'm. <laughs> we know. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I think I I do it. I can sit at my laptop and like I write a sentence wrong and I shout at my laptop. I think that's just how I am. I'm not always being stressy. I think I just come across as I'm being. I think noticing trigger points that a lot of people they don't. Yeah. Um, 
they don't track their own emotions, which sounds stupid, but the one thing I say to people as they're struggling with stuff like this is write it down. If you're feeling a certain way, just keep like a diary, like on your phone and your notes anywhere and say, you know, felt like this today, this is what happened this day. And a lot of the time you start to notice patterns. Like you said, you'll go, you, you had like a depressive phase and it was always linked to drinking. Like people... They don't, Stop drinking. Yeah, they don't look at the bigger picture a lot of the time. They don't realise the things that are actually impacting them. And it's only when you're you're out of that situation where you can look back and go, actually, that job was like, that was why I was depressed. It was the job. But when you're in it, you don't kind of... And it's hard to just like cut it. Like you could say with drinking, it's like when you drink that much, it numbs it. So you feel all right. Yeah, that, yeah that's a lot of the time where, that's where the cycle comes in with stuff like that. Um, but no, for me, I think it's just noticing what, as soon as the, the second I start going, mm, I'm not going to have that because that'll go over my calories. That's when I'm like, okay, I need to like do sort something out here because I'm clearly reverting back to bad. So you've got, you've got sort of markers where, where yeah. you go, okay, yeah. time, time to make a, a course correction. Yeah. A little bit of an adjustment. Yeah. What is your goal now? Or do you have one? Great question. I, I think I wrote in the infamous spreadsheet that <laughs> my goals now change from wanting to be another person to wanting to have the skills that those other people have. So like when I started the gym, I think you asked me what, like, what your goal was. Like, I want to be able to do a rope climb and I want a six pack. Yeah. Six pack is out the window now. I just want to be able to... Is it? It is. I don't do abs as much as you lot think I do abs these sure, days. Sure. I enjoy them. <laughs> the ab exercises for me now are just like, if I can't think of what I want to do, I'll just do abs just because I find them fun and easy. Yeah. But, but it's performance-based for you now a lot yeah, more. It's moved that I, way. I want to be able to like be functional with my body. Like the yeah. whole doing handstands at the moment. I want to yeah. be able to... Also, I think I've developed an appreciation for my body. I never used to... I didn't give a crap about it, basically. I abused it for years and I didn't care like it was a completely reckless attitude I had towards my own health and my body and people would be like you know what do you know what you're doing to the inside of your body I was like yeah I do I don't give a shit though I don't I don't care yeah whereas now you know I used to still smoke on a night out I don't smoke anymore like I hardly drink as much anymore you used to smoke yeah (laughs) shocking I I know this is what like I think people see me now and uh, like the stressy side uh, like aside I think they think I've always been like always exercised always been healthy always been this and I wasn't I used to like didn't eat properly definitely like didn't eat healthy and if I did eat healthy it was for the wrong reasons it was because the food was low calorie it wasn't because I wanted it to be nutritious yeah. for yeah, me yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, exercise was just to lose weight it wasn't fun so I've again that's why I'll work, take the zone off sometimes because I want exercise to be fun I don't yeah. want it to be a data yeah, I don't want it to be something where Chase I'm... Chase the calories. Yeah, yeah. Just, just doing it, just just to do the exercise. I want it to be a fun experience for me. Yeah. And that's how I approach everything now. I, and I want other girls to be confident as well. Because there's so many girls... Like like you said last summer about me wearing shorts in the gym. Yeah, it's important. Like, I really want to, women to just embrace the body. So many women have said, like, oh, you know, I couldn't wear it because I don't have the legs that you have. I'm like, do you think any of the men in this gym think twice about putting a pair of shorts on yeah like just put put the shirt I don't want to be the person who gets the 80 and goes I had a really good body when I was like 30 why didn't I enjoy it more like why didn't I embrace it I just life's too short to it is and I I, I definitely like I know Dave's got a question here but I'll uh, I'll just just finish (laughs) I was going to say I love that 
your approach definitely empowers other women around you. I'd say empowers everyone, not just women, but I think your approach definitely is empowering to those around you. And I'd say that it's it's fascinating to watch a journey from you said nine years old, you know, mm. where you became aware of this to 29 where you are right now. You've gone through a whole lot of crap and everything mm. in between and you've, you've sort of processed life on, on a different scale to a lot of people. Not everyone goes through what you've gone through. Um, and yet you've come out the other side or definitely on the other side of that journey. Yeah. And it's empowering to those around you and hearing your story. And I think that's another thing is hearing your story definitely helps others around you because I think I've noticed, and I don't know if Dave can comment on this but I've noticed even in the gym other people starting to feel more empowered and and I'd say that that comes down to you and some others just sort of in your approach to it you've so cultivated like a gym that it's like Ellie I wasn't to be fair I was nervous to come I came with Ellie's boyfriend first I did um, one of the boot camp classes Um, just because yeah I was nervous to come because it's a new environment and yeah Yeah, but um, like even Ellie said like any other gym she'd be kind of scared to come to but there's, I don't know, there's something about the environment of this gym it's not intimidating like to, to the outside it probably is yeah um but yeah it's everyone's pretty chilled and everyone's quite open about things and there's, there's other people in the gym who speak about mental health as well isn't there and yeah it's it's definitely a topic it's just be it should just be spoken about in normal conversation um we were talking about ignorance before weren't we if you don't understand something, ask someone or go and research it yourself. Yeah. Like education is a weapon, it's a tool. Massively. Use it. Yeah. That's, I've learned more yeah. about mental health and mental illness, just knowing that we were going to talk about this and researching it. Yeah. And it's just that simple. Progress, not perfection. The Chasing Progress Podcast. So, knowing what we know now, mm-hmm. what advice would you give to your 15 year old self and people who are going through what you've been through? Great question. Um, or are still going through now? Maybe not even 15-year-olds. What self. advice would you give to your 15-year-old I... self? People, women especially, going through anxiety, depression, any form of mental illness. I think it's hard because a 15-year-old Fiona wouldn't have listened. <laughs> she she would have, <laughs> to be fair, 29-year-old Fiona half the time doesn't listen to people. But we know. I think if you're trying to change something, my advice would be baby steps. And I say this to people, anyone struggling with any level of mental health problem, whether it's like severe depression or just generalized anxiety, pick a goal that you want to achieve and just like a small goal, even if it's like, I think I've used the example before, like a lot of people get anxious when they go on public transport or buses or don't know, tell yourself you're going to do one public transport trip a month and stick to that and before you know it you'll be fine doing that once you've kind of got to the point where you don't even have to think about it pick another goal so I'm trying to think of like an example for me it's funny though isn't it because it just resonates because like when I used to get the bus to school when you get on the bus and the bus is packed you think everyone's looking at you and judging yeah. you and it's just it's just crazy yeah. I think, I, think <laughs> one, I can't remember what one of the goals for me was it, it was probably something like you know <laughs> consistently like eat breakfast every single day for yeah. whatever time and it's it's really hard with like the eating disorder thing because it's a completely different ball game to some other mental health problems I suppose because but yeah the, the gist from what you said it's a pro- it's a progressive thing it's not one thing yeah. that's gonna and also change it's everything just because you have a knockback don't let that completely defeat you because like recovery is not a linear process it's up it's down it's it's all over the place and the, the bulimia for me was like the thing that was ongoing for 
for over 10 years I'd say sometimes I'd go for months and months and months and be fine and then I'd have a knockback and it would kind of come back into my life again and I think accepting that it's okay for that to happen it's yeah. okay to have a slip yeah but just don't let it defeat you because to and it's the attitude of diet starts monday no don't yeah. start the diet on monday start the diet today yeah start as soon as possible like just because you've messed up once just course correct go back to it don't beat yourself up about it because what's the point you that being negative towards yourself is just it's it's harmful to you like yeah yeah it's not good Fantastic. Thank you, Fiona, for coming in. No, it's been great. I'm sure that people are going to find that very useful and very helpful. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe, hit us with five-star reviews, and catch us on Spotify and iTunes. See you again next time. Thank you for listening. Subscribe now on iTunes and Spotify. The Chasing Progress Podcast. Find us on Instagram at origin underscore gym.